Hi, everyone. Welcome back. I'm Stacey Bellward, the host of the Connected Families podcast. Welcome to our community. We are people committed to pursuing God's grace and truth for ourselves and then daily working to pass that grace and truth on to our children. I'm so glad that you're here with us today. Well, today I have Chad Hange with me. Hey, Chad, welcome to the podcast. Hey, Stacey. Good to be here again. I am so looking forward to this conversation. We have a guest with us, Lynn Beckett. She's now a certified coach with Connected Families. Um, But first, we came to know her because of her very influential role at Lifeline Children's Services and her work with foster care and adoption. This is November adoption month. And so we're going to have a great conversation with her. But Chad, first, before we dive into that, I wanted to ask you a quick question about the coaching certification program. Can you just give us give us a quick update? How's it going? Yeah, it's going really well. I think that the thing that is always amazing to me is how unified the coaches are under the desire to really help families through the Connected Families framework. And so I love hanging out with our coaches. Yeah, always just such a good and fulfilling and filling time to be with people who are like-minded and reaching out to families in their sphere of influence. I think we've got, uh, we currently have about 55 certified parent coaches uh, who have graduated and are active in our phase three uh, side of things. And I think we've got 21 maybe graduating uh, this month and another 22 that just started in the program in October. So really exciting to be a part of that and to be yeah just around people who are excited about helping families through the Connected Families framework. And they span the globe, don't they? Yeah, I think we're currently in uh, 14 countries. We have coaches in 14 countries and 35-ish or so U.S. states. So that's been just <laughs> beyond what we could have uh, ever hoped or imagined. What are some of the typical reasons that parents are coming and meeting with a coach? Yeah, I think there's uh, oftentimes just a a level of uncertainty or, you know, parents will will be coming along and they'll hit some bumps in the road with some, typically it's behavior challenges and they're not quite sure what to do or they've tried all the things and uh, they're still not quite seeing what they want to, uh, what they want to see. And so, you know, it could be anything from uh, just screen time management. I mean, that has got to be one of the top issues in terms of just just helping kids navigate screens to, you know, just the the basics of helping out around the house, or maybe it's just some some defiant attitudes that they might be seeing, or things that that uh, that's what parents might say about that. But really looking for, especially when they come to connected families, a, a biblical approach to to working with kids and uh, to mm-hmm. to guiding them, discipling them, shepherding them. So. Yeah. So I think those are usually there's just a little discontent. It's like, oh, man, I think we need a little course correction here. And I'm not quite sure how to get there. Yeah. And somehow that is just an international phenomenon, isn't it, Chad? Yes. I was in Ethiopia three years ago doing a workshop and I asked for the typical behavior challenge. Let's do a role play around this. And the the typical challenge was we can't get my child off of a screen. I thought, oh, my goodness, are you serious? Okay, I think uh, I think it's pretty universal at this point. It's it's universal. Parents are <laughs> yes. struggling, and so we're just so grateful for your work to train coaches, to train people who have such a heart for helping parents and directing them to the Lord and doing that through the framework. It's wonderful work. Well, I'm excited to get on to our conversation today, Chad. We have 
Lynn Beckett here with us. She's so qualified in so many ways. And yet she came to Connected Families and she came through the coaching certification program that you were just talking about. So let me read her bio and then we'll bring her on. Lynn has worked in the area of foster care and adoption for over 25 years with Lifeline Children's Services. She's a TBRI practitioner and certified Connected Families Parent Coach. She's held many roles, and while providing post-placement services to adoptive and foster families, she developed the parent coaching program for Lifeline. Lynn is committed to the care of vulnerable children and to helping caregivers bring children to the place of healing. Lynn is married to Brian, and they have two daughters and three grandchildren. Welcome to the Connected Families Podcast, Lynn. Thank you so much for this opportunity. It is really a privilege to be here with you guys today. Lynn, it is a privilege to have you. So I I just want to just want to say I, I know our audience might not be familiar with you or Lifeline but but you are supremely qualified to talk about the things that we're going to talk about in terms of uh, adoption and and uh, coaching parents and helping parents through a number of issues there and uh, you know it's just a, an honor anytime somebody comes to us and has the resume that you have and says hey what can I learn from you there's a humility and a, and a spirit of growth and learning there that uh, I just really admire and you know so you and I we were talking about it uh, beforehand that I coached you in your phase one coaching you know piece and uh, just uh, just so good to get to know you and I'm so glad that you're a part of this podcast. Well, thank you, Chad. I just remember being so excited when I was looking for kind of a certification program. You know, we had developed a coaching program here at Lifeline, but I felt like maybe I needed to get a little bit more help. Some of this was just coming out of my own experience, as you had said. And when I discovered the Connected Family Framework, it was like all the things came together for me and this beautiful package of the framework. And it brought the research and evidence-based approach that's important, but then it was undergirded with such strong biblical foundation and principles. And so as we pair those two together, it's a powerhouse of helping families and the struggles that they face with foster care and adoption. Say more about that, Lynn, because we get the question all of the time. Is your teaching really for us? Is this online course really for us as an adoptive or foster, or maybe you're a family with, you know, your child has a diagnosis and you think, you know, I don't know, is this really for me? Because we're not quote unquote, a typical family. What would you say to that? Right. And so I think one of the things that that touches my heart over all these years and the things that I hear as I work with families, and, and it's heavy for me sometimes to hear the impact of the wounds that the children have had prior to coming into a foster care home or an adopted family home. And it's those wounds of identity. Our kids come in and, you know, we put that big name on it called the inner working model, but our kids come to us with these messages of, I'm bad. I'm not good. I'm not wanted. I'm a goof up. I'm a mess up. I'm never going to get this right. And so when we look at the connected family framework and we see those four powerful identity messages that we hear as we put those pieces together, you are safe with me. 
child, you are loved no matter what. You're not a goof up. You're not a mistake. You are called and capable and you are responsible for your actions. And so when we take that with those first two messages of grace and acceptance, and we build on that foundation with the next two messages of accountability, this is what working together um, gives our foster parents, our adoptive parents, the framework, the tools that they need to be able to begin to speak in and work on some of those crazy behavior challenges that come mm-hmm. along with this. Yeah. So let's just talk about those crazy behavior challenges. And then I just want us to walk through the framework, thinking it through from an adoptive or foster family. So what are some of those crazy behavior challenges that adoptive foster families are sometimes dealing with? You know, one of the things that a lot of our kids struggle with is difficulty sleeping. You know, and there's good reasons for that because dark is scary. And for some of our children, and we don't like to think about this, but for some of our children, it's during the night that abuse happens to our kids. And so that can be really frightening for a lot of our kids that are being adopted internationally and they've lived in a group setting. They're not even used to sleeping in a room by themselves. They've been used to sleeping in rooms with lots of other folks. And so that can generate fear and anxiety for our kids. So sleeping can be a difficult issue. One of the big big things is transitions. And transitions cover such an incredibly big umbrella of behaviors because a lot of times we take for granted all the transitions that we do during the day. Just even the transition from getting out of bed to going down to for breakfast or getting dressed for the day or brushing our teeth and grabbing our backpack. Mm-hmm. Each of those little actions is a transition for our kids. And so those are just little daily transitions, but then we can Mm -hmm. have bigger weekly transitions, transitioning from the routine and schedule of the school day to the loosey-goosey of the weekend, which can be fun for us, but for a kid that is used to and needs predictability and routine, that can be a big trigger sometimes, and it can be difficult to navigate. Could you address even attachment and how that might fit in right here around behaviors? Yeah, so that's a great question. Let's see, as we look at maybe the difficulty with transitions. So we're dropping our kid off at school. And if we as a parent have kind of an anxious attachment style, you know, and our kid is a little clingy, that might cause us to respond in a way where we may be more lenient right? And we may not be able to help them begin to navigate that phase of you're called, you're capable, you can do this as we support them. If, if we're maybe avoidant in our attachment style as a parent, then we may kind of take that firmer, stronger approach of it's no big deal. Suck it up. Let's get going, buddy. And so as parents, our attachment style can influence how we even view our kids' behavior, the lens that we see our kids' behavior through, and then how we respond to that behavior. 
and the way we interact and support them. Does that help? That's really good. And you're using attachment language there. And so I just want everyone to know those were official phrases, anxious attachment and avoidant attachment. There's four different sort of categories of attachment. And we have done a podcast on attachment. And I think there's even a blog post or two. So we'll have links to that in our show notes if you want to dig into that. Actually, the attachment episode that we did, and it was quite a while ago, I think is still our most listened to podcast ever, which is amazing. Thanks for that. And I'm just letting everyone know that so they can tap through and get some more information there. But let's talk about what it does mean to be safe as a parent. So here, here's the question that I want to ask you, what have been some say critical assets, some ways of parents showing up as far as the foundation that help a parent to be resilient over the long haul? Yes. One of the things that oftentimes families hear, if they've had any kind of pre-adoption training or even having gone through qualifications and training for being foster parents, is we hear this phrase sometimes used, felt safety, which is a phrase that comes from the connected child that Karen Purvis wrote. For me, that phrase felt safety just seemed very vague and ambivalent. And what does that really mean? And so when we look at the connected family framework and we look at the concept of safety and child, you are safe with me, we think about it from we want to be parents who can be emotionally safe, certainly physically safe, which most families are physically safe, right? And spiritually safe. And so being emotionally safe for me was hard to begin to unpack a little bit, but we we talk about that concept of calming ourselves before we move into a behavioral correction or situation that needs to be addressed. And this concept and idea coming out of James 1, 19 and 20, that we're to be slow to anger, so to speak, quick to listen. I may have butchered that passage a little bit. Quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Yes, thank you. Thank you. you Um, As we move into that concept of slow, low, and listen, this helps us slow down. And this is one of the ways that I have found and have heard testimonies from parents. This slow, low, and listen has been such a powerful concept for parents as they begin to implement and practice this. And this helps them to be that safe parent so that their children can experience that felt safety that we often talk about in Mm -hmm. adoption circles. That's the place where I I think back to the example of dropping off at preschool that you just said, and you talked about parents, two different ways they might be attached and how they would respond. This is the place where the parents doing the work of what is my attachment style? What is my filter? What's going on in me when my child is clingy and doesn't want to go to school today, right? And then I can come without that baggage and be a safe parent for my child. I think another really piece good. of that too with the with the safety is is really understanding the challenges that you're likely going to face and preparing a little bit of a, ahead of time for those. Mm-hmm. Sometimes parents act surprised by things that they know they're going to see. If if drop off has been an issue and a struggle for the child for the last three or four weeks, sometimes we still show up as if we're surprised. I think that when you're thinking about your save with me, there's also an opportunity to, to start to understand like what is driving my impatience here or what is driving my 
you know, what, whatever the, the behavior might be from ourselves. And that's where we'll invite parents to look at toxic beliefs and graceful truths. Like, what's true about me, even if my child's struggling right now? And when you mentioned slow, low, and listen, Lynn, I would say that that is by far of the parents that I work with through coaching, the number one thing, and you're safe with me, that they, they take away and will say, I've been working on this and I can already start to see a change in my my response and how my child is even responding to me. That's right. And that's been my experience as well, Chad, as parents from session one to session two of parent coaching, as they have practiced that mm -hmm. in between sessions, when we come back into that next session, that's what they report. Behaviors haven't disappeared, but there's a decrease in intensity and frequency and parents feel more confident and their ability to move in and address because they are in a calmer place emotionally with it. Yeah, it's been wonderful. So Lynn, can you give us just one small, like maybe practical thing you've seen, maybe one of your coaching clients, especially for a child, if they have a child who's gone through trauma, that they can do to be safe? One of the things I think that is so important is to be physically present with their children. So I love that our houses these days are moving to more open concepts, but even being physically within eyesight of a child can help a child feel safe. And a parent can be there to be present and monitor and watch and catch if things seem to be building or escalating with a child, if they seem to be giving those cues and signs that maybe they're getting a little nervous or anxious, you know, mm -hmm. and that may look like them twirling their hair or talking really fast or running like a little whirling dervish around the playground. Some of those behaviors can cue us. And if we're present physically and within eyesight, we can begin to catch and help regulate some mm -hmm. of that. The other mm -hmm. thing is to simply verbalize, you are safe. I remember very vividly doing a post-adoption visit with a family many months after they had had a placement. And as a stranger, I'm coming into the home. The child does not know me. And she immediately climbed in mom's lap. And it was obvious that mom had practiced this with her. She was saying to mom, I am safe. You are safe. Daddy is safe. And she went through her mantra of all the family members that were safe. And this was the way she was calming herself. So they were verbalizing out loud this message of you are safe. And it had been internalized. This is especially important for our kids who are coming into care through fostering. Because many times they may begin to feel messages of being safe but they're separated from their siblings. They may be separated from other important family members, certainly from their birth parents and caregivers. And this is something that weighs heavily on our kids oftentimes of, I am safe, but what's happening to the people that I love? And so even as caregivers, we can communicate to our kids in care. Not only are you safe, but we're, we know that sister is safe and brother is safe in getting what he needs. And mom is getting the help. Dad's getting the help that they need. They're safe as well. So this message of safety is so foundational. It's so good. And I would just add that even when a child is adopted as a little baby, 
you know, maybe you don't even know their story, or it's not an obvious sort of separation from family that you think that they can remember, right? There's still the question of safety that is embedded in almost every interaction. It's part of their cells. And so, you know, I think that's back to even what Chad said of, you know, what are the tapes in my head? I have to get down to what are the beliefs that I'm having? This child, you know, why is the child acting like this? And it's an understanding that this is just built into the adoption story that we're always dealing with safety. Yes. Yeah. Let's move to loved. <laughs> so we've already mentioned the word attachment and attachment can be a struggle from the parent side and the child side. And, and that's also just a, a built in thing that we as adoptive and foster families really need to be aware of and think about what are some of the potent ways that can strengthen attachment with a child, maybe, maybe even specifically a child who's a little bit suspicious of the parent. Oh, yeah. A little hyper alert and not sure about all this. So you mentioned an infant just a moment ago, Stacy. So if we think about that infant and that baby and how we build attachment with, with an infant. And so what are some of those building blocks, some of those components, things like eye contact? We look into that infant's eyes. And so beginning to use eye contact as a way to build attachment with our kids. And we start very easy and simple. We won't, don't, don't want that to be threatening. So we can do lots of fun things like looking in the mirror and doing activities together, putting stickers on our faces, each other's faces to begin to build eye contact. That's one of the building blocks of attachment. And then we think about touch and how critically important touch is. God has designed us to be touched. We think about when Christ healed the leper, he could have done it simply by speaking, but he reached out and he touched. And think about how healing that touch was for someone who had been ostracized and not touched. There's a, a, a diagnosis called failure to thrive where our kids don't get that needed touch. And so with our kids who have been adopted, kids coming into foster care, we have to be careful with touch. We have to gauge how, how they've received touch before. We want to be careful with that. We want to ask permissions with our older kids. But, but just doing fun things like high fives and fist bumps and pats on the back and sitting side by side on the couch to begin with. And as we become more comfortable with touch, you know, we can get into hammocks that rolls us together and we can swing together and swinging is a calming activity. So we can kind of mimic maybe the way we did an infant in our swinging. And uh, I know one dad had a great big lazy boy chair. And when he began to understand and learn this concept, when he would get home from work, he'd grab that kid who was 12 or 13. You know, this is an older boy who wants to, who wants to rock, be rocked. But they sat in that big lazy boy chair together side by side and rocked, mimicking that attachment block that's so critical for our kids. We think about feelings and empathy. And this is where that second level of our framework comes, your love no matter what. And we connect through attunement and awareness of what's going on in my child, connecting with feelings before we ever move into facts or correction with our kids. One of the things that maybe we don't think about is the importance of play. Play is an incredibly healing thing and an important building block in attachment with our kids. I think one of the things that you said, Lynn, too, I mean, even how you were talking about connection, there was playfulness in your voice. 
right? And so I'm glad you you brought that out at the end as well. But there was just a, a little bit of a playfulness, a sparkle, even as you were talking, kind of in, in a twinkle in your eye sort of things. And I, I think that's that's really important. And that we talk about when you're you're safe with me, we're asking parents the question, like, what's going on inside of you as a parent? And you mm-hmm. highlighted too with your your love no matter what, asking the question, like, what's it like to be my child? Like those are two questions is super foundational that we ask at Connected Families. We invite parents to take a deeper look at like what's going on before what should I do? And right. uh, I think that's that's so important there too. And I also want to highlight, Stacy, you're usually on the side of the microphone where you're asking everybody questions and you're uh, <laughs> inviting the wisdom from the other people and things like that. But it would be, I think we'd be remiss to, to not get your voice in here too about your own experience as somebody who's grown your family through adoption mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. and someone who can speak into some of these things too. So I guess I'm curious about what you would have to say about connection. You know, I, would, I, I keep thinking about the big picture which is what I've seen even in my family is that, you know, there's four layers. We haven't gotten to the top two layers yet. But when I think about the percentage of time that I want to be, as far as the framework, the percentage of time in each layer, I probably spent 80% or more down in the first two layers. Yeah. And I just think that, you know, with adoptive foster families, we just spend less time up at correct. And that's a big thing that we have to kind of get over when we're used to maybe how we were raised or, you know, or that there needed to be maybe consequences for behavior or all of those things. We have to set that aside because we, because I had to really realize that issue of safety is a really big one. And until I can get shored up really solid with both safe and then loved, which is spending a lot of time asking what's going on in you, my child. And I don't know, because you have had a different story than I have had. And so I need to be as curious as I can possibly be every single day and connect in that place. That's where then I can move into the top two layers of called and capable and then correct. And I have to be really, well, I love the called and capable that, I mean, when you can get to there, it's just like such fun parenting and then correct to be really careful and you choose and make sure that you've really come up those three layers so that when it is time to correct with the child, particularly my adoptive child, then I get the most bang for my buck. Can I say it like that? <laughs> you know, like I don't want to waste the times when I really need to correct. Yeah. So that's what I would say. Yeah. I think there's also one of the things I'll hear sometimes from parents is they'll say, of course, I'm safe. And of course, my child knows that I love them. I provide for them. I, you know, spend time with them. And I think there's that that perceived safety where, where we think they should feel safe. But it really is the child who's determining that and that that love no matter what. I think I've heard Jim say it before, or he'll say, you know, if, uh, if somebody says, I love you no matter what, of course, I provide for you. Look, I, you know, I, I love you. That's that's the evidence that that for a lot of kids, that's like just like, well, no, you're a responsible adult. Right. Like you're just you're doing things responsible adults do. But the actual connection and that that depth of connection and love, no matter what, is different than just providing a place, a roof, clothes, food, shelter, all the things. So I think I I appreciate you putting even that out there. Like I spent 80% of my time down here and it's a hard thing. I think for a lot of parents Mm -hmm. to hear, because we want to get to the top. We want to get the behavior challenge figured out and no longer, you know, as an issue. Uh, And for me, when I would get into that space, it oftentimes was, was about my own convenience 
Like, I want you to behave well so my life is easier. And my kids didn't generally sign up for my life to be easier. That safe and loved are so important, especially for families who have formed through adoption. I don't think we can overstate it or underline it, underscore it enough. Yeah, I do appreciate what you said, Stacy. We do have to create space and create time in our schedules to practice those first two pieces of the framework. But you know, parents report that as we practice it, as we do it, then those next two pieces of correction often go quicker. Sometimes we don't even have to do it if we're practicing those two pieces of your safe and your love. Sometimes our kids can self-correct and we don't even need to move on to those. So I love that. But Lynn, we're going to move on to those. We're not going to spend as much time on the next two as we did on the first two because we just don't have the time on the podcast. There's lots on our website, but I'm going to toss it to a break. And when we come back, we will talk about called and capable and responsible. Hi, friends. I wanted to be sure you're aware of our growing group of Connected Families Certified Parent Coaches. Currently, we have 77 coaches across the United States and in 13 countries from Papua New Guinea to Ethiopia to Estonia to Guatemala. Some of the coaches have their own niche, such as sensitive and intense kids or anxiety, but they are all certified in the Connected Families framework. In fact, there are four elements that inform the coaches at Connected Families. First and foremost, the Bible. All our coaches are followers of Jesus and that impacts all of their interactions, including with coaching clients. Well, the second one is, of course, the Connected Families Framework. Everything we do at Connected Families is built on the framework and the messages that we believe all kids long to hear. The messages are, you are safe with me, you are loved no matter what, you are called and capable, and you are responsible for your actions. Well, the third element that informs coaching is attachment and trauma research. Many of the parents who reach out to us for parent coaching have children who've experienced trauma and have insecure attachment. The coaches at Connected Families are awesome, but they are also trauma sensitive and informed. And then last, the certified parent coaches are informed by the latest child development, right? We believe that God has given incredible gifts and insights to researchers in the field of child development. We prioritize staying abreast of the latest research in the field. Well, if you would like to connect with one of our Connected Families Certified Parent Coaches, tap through to the show notes. We have a list of all the coaches on our website where you can read about their bios, see their picture, and learn how to connect with them. So if you're feeling persistently stuck in your parenting, please reach out. Everyone listed on this page has undergone and continues to receive extensive training in our coaches certification program. You know, after coaching, one parent said, I could physically feel a change. After my first coaching session, I felt less burdened and anxious. We want that for you too. So tap through to the show notes to get connected to a certified parent coach today. All right, we're back after the break, and I have Chad Hange with me. He's the Director of Education and Equipping, our coaching certification program here at Connected Families, and Lynn Beckett, who came through the coaching program, and she is a certified parent coach, but also works at Lifeline, and so we're so grateful to have Lynn here with us. We're having a fantastic conversation around the framework, specifically for families with 
children who came to them through adoption or foster care. So we are on to the last two layers of the framework, which are the top two, because we always start at the bottom. And so the layer we're at is to coach, and it's the message you are called and capable. So Lynn, here's a question that I have for you of maybe all the tools that Connected Families teaches around this layer of the framework. Which stands out to you as just a a good go-to for adoptive foster families? This piece of the framework has so many good practical tools in it. And so it's hard, Stacy, for me to really isolate out which one works the best. Not a fair but, question, was it? <laughs> that's right. That's right. But I will say that when we begin to help families understand the gifts that our kids have been given, and especially kids coming from places of wounding, places where maybe they had to be on their own and kind of take care of themselves, they develop some very good, strong gifts, some very good, strong survival techniques, right? But sometimes it's those very strong survival techniques that they come into our home with that can get off track and that can lead to that misbehavior that we see. So when we begin to talk with families about this thing that is frustrating you, causing you grief, causing you concern is the very thing that may have kept your child thriving in the environment they were in before they came to you. And we just need to begin to redirect those and get those back on. And then of course, when we use I love those- that, Lynn, and I have to break in because I just, I keep giggling inside. One of my friends, her, her son came to her and he had been the one who had butchered the goats. And like, oh. so was the shepherd and had been out and would butcher and cut up the goats. So like having huge knives and dealing with all that was like, that was his world. So he came yeah. and she just was like, yeah, was like, you can't have that knife. And he's looking at her like she finds out later. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I I love that story. What a great, what a great skill to have. Yeah. And so that can be a light bulb moment for some of our families as we begin to help them see those behaviors through a different frame, through a different lens and begin to think through, okay, what are some of those skills that they need to be able to take those gifts and use them in the right way? you know, and then even presenting to um, our kids, and this may get into you are responsible a bit, that you have a choice to use your gifts for blessing to others or for uh, ways that might not be as helpful. So that is a wonderful place to start with families. And then again, we started the podcast with this inner working model and how we can begin to heal those negative messages that our kids carry with them often. And I think that the ABCs of affirmation help to affirm our kids, show them their gifts, the benefit they can be to others and cast a vision for them that they are here for a reason, for a purpose, that they weren't a mistake, that sometimes they feel like they were. Those two are very powerful. Thank you for those. And now we're going to move on to the top of the framework, correct? And the message, you are responsible for your actions. And this one is a bit, there's a little bit of a nuance here when we're working with our kids who are adopted or foster, because sometimes the message you are responsible for your actions, right? To make right what you've made wrong 
it needs to be communicated very carefully to avoid triggering a shame response because I would just say it feels like they can go way back to that message that you started off the show with, right? I, I'm not enough. I'm not worthy. I can't do it right. Mm-hmm. I, all of that. It comes real quick. Mm-hmm. So could you speak to that? I think as we began to move into this, that piece where parents can begin to share in a vulnerable way that we all mess up. And as parents, as they practice the framework and they have modeled what repair in a relationship looks like. I think that becomes a powerful piece of this. For some of the older kids, as they have learned how to make those repairs where we talk about if we wound with our words, we we do a repair with our words, those four kind messages to repair something that we may have said that was hurtful, or those actions of service if we've wounded with our hands. It almost becomes a relief for our kids because it gives them a pathway back that they've never experienced before. And so I think that as we model that first and foremost, then as we move into that piece, it is actually something that becomes very positive for our kids to know that there is a way to make right what we've done wrong. Does that make sense? Definitely does. Here's a question we got actually from our community. And it's the last question that I'll ask before we just wrap up the show still around responsible. How do you navigate consequences with the biological children when consequences sometimes don't quote unquote work with the kids who have a more trauma background? Do you get that question, Lynn? Yes, Stacey. And it may be it may be worded a little different because sometimes the question comes out with fair. Sometimes the word fair is connected (laughs) with that question. You know, what I hope is that as families are using the framework, this is, this is a framework that, that is used for all the children in the family that we don't have two separate techniques and things that we're using. But In relationship to FAIR, what we want to think through is that FAIR does not necessarily mean same. And so beginning to talk about how we meet each child where they are and what they need and that, you know, brother and sister have started at a different place and we're still learning, we're still filling in gaps in their history and their training. And so it may look a little different because of that. And so certainly for older kids, we can begin to share what we've learned about trauma and attachment, maybe to bring understanding and compassion. But if a child was in a wheelchair, would it be fair to make them walk up the steps, right? No, we build a ramp to help them get up. And so fair doesn't mean same. Yeah. And I just want to say though, that is hard. Like it's just hard, right? Because when it comes to being sassy, you know, and they're just a year and a half apart or something like that. And, you know, when you realize that sass is coming from a, maybe a place of anxiety or fear in your kid with trauma versus the other, the other ones you deal with it. It's hard. Let's just say. Absolutely. Absolutely. What a wonderful conversation. I just appreciate Lynn, all the wisdom that you've brought. Chad, thanks for being here Mm -hmm. today. I just know that the adoptive foster families that are listening 
really, really feel heard, feel like we get them. And we hope that this conversation has really been useful for them. Yeah. And I think that you know, even in the conversation, just the the struggle a little bit of of that there aren't easy answers. And it's why we start really with a framework as a way of describing, not as prescribing. And I, I also want to invite parents to to remember that the Holy Spirit is is your guide, is leading, is ever present with you, and provides wisdom and discernment and guidance. And that's such an important resource to remember in light of some of the things that we're talking about and the the framework and the tools that we mentioned. We've got lots of tools at Connected Families that we talk about, but leaning into the Holy Spirit is such an important aspect of, of parenting as well. So true. That's why we always start every podcast. We're receiving God's grace and truth so that we can pass it on. Thanks, Glenn, for being with us. Thank you. I enjoyed it. Thanks, Chad. Glad to be here. Well, thanks for tuning in today, friends. We are a listener-supported organization. Over 50,000 parents like you listen to this podcast every month. Individual donations make the work to equip and encourage families possible. For more information about Connected Families, follow us on Instagram or Facebook or go to connectedfamilies.org. I will see you next time.